you missed last week, we started a series on the book of Psalms. Uh, Pastor Doug talked about how um, the Psalms has been God's people's prayer book and hymn book for the last 4,000 years. People have been praying these Psalms and singing these Psalms, New Testament, Old Testament, 4,000 years. This has been God's people's language for so long. Um, I love the Psalms. It took me a long time to actually appreciate this book. Uh, as, I, as I committed to reading through the Bible, I left the Psalms to the end because it was the largest book and it's the most daunting book it was for me and at times some of the hardest stuff for me to understand. But I can honestly say that today the Psalms has become uh, my favorite book. It is a staple in my reading, in my devotional life with God. The Psalms has helped give me language and expressions and greatly assisted in my own prayer life. If I was stranded on a desert island and I was forced to pick one book of the Bible to be there with me, no doubt it would be the book of Psalms. This book absolutely speaks to my soul and to my life and speaks to every situation that we, uh, we may find ourselves in, whether you're high or low or somewhere in between. I'm not sure if Pastor Doug mentioned this last week, but I got to quote it again, even if he did. It's Athanasius, uh, 5th century church father, he says this, Most of scripture speaks to us about the living God, but the Psalms speak for us to the living God. They speak for us. They actually gives us words and language to put behind our feelings and our thoughts to God. And I've certainly found that to be true in my own life. And so today we're going to camp out in Psalm 121. We're going to work our way through it. This is one of my favorite psalms, the psalm that's certainly spoken to me. And I think this morning uh, will speak to us as well. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up uh, Psalm 121. If you have your iPhones or whatever you got, I won't think you're texting. I'll assume that you are following along in the scriptures. And instead of me reading it this morning, I actually got a video for you that's going to give you a visual and kind of a, a, the spoken. He's just going to speak Psalm 121 for you. So enjoy this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where shall my help come from? from a 
8, Psalm 121. Even if you've never read this psalm, chances are you've probably heard bits and pieces of what you just heard this morning. It is a very well-known and popular psalm. It's popular because it speaks to us so much about the nature of God, the nature of faith, the nature of trust, and what it means for us to be on this journey of following Him. And so this morning, we're going to dive into this passage. We're going to draw out some of the truths. Uh, As it is with any passage of Scripture that we look at, we really should um, look at context, help us to understand what it is that we're reading, uh, who it was written to, and what the historical background was that will help us understand. Um, Last week, if you weren't here, we actually uh, offered up, it's a There's three pages here. It's a sheet and basically highlights all the Psalms, Psalm 1 to 150, and kind of tells you what you're reading, who wrote it, and what the genre is. There's seven different genres in the Psalms, and this will actually really help you in your reading. Um, And we're encouraging the church to read through the Psalms this summer. So uh, it's back on the info desk. If you missed it last week, we've got lots of copies for you. So what you'll notice as you look at Psalm 121 on the sheet is that it it lines up with the the Song of Ascent. that's what the, that, if you look at your Bible, it'll say a song of ascent. So let me talk about what we're actually reading here. There's several Jewish festivals that happen throughout the year. Um, and then people, people from all over uh, Judea and Israel would come and gather in Jerusalem and celebrate these festivals. And so they would actually make this journey. They'd make this pilgrimage. And so these are actually called pilgrimage psalms. And on their way, they would sing and pray these psalms. So there's 14 of them in all. And that they're all titled the Song of Ascent. And so on their way up to Jerusalem, these psalms that we're reading here, um, they would sing on their way. It would give them language for their journey. So it starts with Psalm 120, ends with 134. There's 14 of them in all. Psalm 120 is the very beginning of the journey. It says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech and that I live among the tents of Keter. Here's what's going on here. Meshech and Keter are the furthest places north and south of Israel. And so people, it represents the pagan world. And so on this journey, they have left the pagan past. They've left their old life. And now they're working their way towards Jerusalem, which is where we find two psalms later. Psalm 122, they find themselves there. Our feet are standing at your gates. Oh, Jerusalem. I think we got it up there. Awesome. So 121 is really, it's the middle. They've left left the, uh, the outskirts. They've left the pagan world. But they haven't quite arrived in in Jerusalem yet. They're not quite there, and so it's the journey. It is the middle place. And this is why um, so many people resonate with Psalm 121, because it's a great description of Christian discipleship. It's where we find ourselves today. We're in the middle of the journey. We have left our old ways. We have left the way of the world. We're aiming towards heavenly Jerusalem, towards the kingdom of God, but we recognize we have not quite gotten there yet. And so we are in the middle. We're in the journey, and Psalm 121 really speaks to us about this. So... Understanding this context, I want you to imagine um, the Israelites and they're on this pilgrimage and they're singing these psalms with other pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. It is a city really built on, on a hill. So whatever direction you come from, you are going to be engaging with terrain like that. It's hot, dusty, barren. It's, uh, it's a rough road. And that's the journey up to Jerusalem. It's not a super fun or exciting journey. I think there's another one there. And so these are, these are modern-day people actually trying to mimic what that journey would have been like. Um, the terrain is steep. The wilderness is open. There's wild animals. There's thieves. This was a journey that was fraught with danger. It's not an easy journey. And we can relate with this, can't we? 
If someone ever told you that your problems would ever go away when you became a Christian, that somehow you would be happy all the time and live in this eternal bliss and that nothing bad would ever happen to you, I've got news for you. You've been lied to. It's not true, and I think we all know that. It is not true. This is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. Health and wealth message is simply not biblical, nor is it a reality for most people living today. Life for many of us, for most people, is an uphill journey, and it's fraught with danger, much like these pilgrims would have faced on their way up to Jerusalem. And difficulties abound, and we've heard some of them this morning, and I know of many more represented in this congregation that life can be really hard. Financial worries, relational brokenness, busyness, challenges with children, stress, anxiety, personal health. We all face challenges of some sort. In the midst of these struggles, let's be honest, it can be really difficult to keep our eyes fixed on God. And often in, in the distractions and the worry, the first thing that goes is our pursuit of God. We just kind of forget about him. And yet in this psalm, despite the dangers, the pilgrim continues on towards Jerusalem. And despite the challenges that, the challenges that we may face in life, we are called to continue on in our Christian discipleship, to continue on pressing into God and keeping our eyes fixed on him. And that's what this psalm really speaks about. It is God's protection of his people who are on journey. So verse 1, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? This question is as relevant today as it was back then. Where do we go when life is challenging? When you look up to the hill and you see it on fire, where does your help come from? Who are you looking to? Now, I've often read this passage and thought, well, for me, somebody, I experience God a lot in creation. I love going for a hike. I love looking up to the mountains, and I, and I recognize that the creator of the God, the creator, the, the creator of the universe, uh, is, who is behind this beautiful, magnificent creation, cares about me, and, and I find comfort in that. But that's not actually what this psalm is uh, talking about. That would not have been the case for the pilgrims heading to Jerusalem. Back in those days, the land was full of other religions and cults. And these religions and cults, their places of worship would have been set up on the hills. So there would have been shrines and temples and ashram poles and a whole bunch of other things. So they would look up to the hills and they would, that would represent the pagan world. And so the story of Israel is this constant temptation to give in to these other influences and other distractions. And they end up forgetting about God over and over again. And so the psalm, this psalm is saying, as I look up to the hills and I, and I see the temptations that they represent, I'm asking myself the question, can I find help from these places? Do these distractions actually help me? Verse 2, of course, the answer is no. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. In the midst of all that is distracting and pointing us away from God, the pilgrim fixes their gaze upon the Lord, the creator of the universe. They look up towards their maker. Where do we go for help? Where do we go when we are looking for answers? Some modern-day equivalents of these pagan images might be something like reading your horoscope, looking at the alignment of the stars, local palm readings or fortune tellers. I lived in Nelson a while back. These were, these, this was pretty typical in a place like that, but here in the Okanagan, we don't run into this nearly as much. But us Okanagan people, we have our own issues, right? There's other things that distract us, other things that we deal with our challenges with differently things that often point us away from God here in our culture, the pursuit of money, power, success, popularity, trying to keep up with our neighbors, trying to look as good as everybody else. Our modern day tendency is to deal with life's challenges by distracting ourselves with pleasure. 
Excessive holidays, bigger toys, larger homes, all summed up in the pursuit of personal enjoyment as life's number one goal. And we become so easily distracted by these things that we forget about God. The psalm teaches us here that our primary source of help is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth the creator of heaven and earth, and we are to keep our eyes fixed on him. And I absolutely love this image. It's the image of the believer whose eyes are firmly fixated on God, looking up to him, focused on him. That whatever life might throw, it, throw at you, your eyes are fixated on God. That is the direction that you are pointing. My wedding gift from Laura was, an, was a passage engraved on a little pocket knife. And it was my favorite passage, Hebrews 12, 2. It says this, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It's a verse that has inspired me and a verse that I try to live by. Where are my eyes focused? What direction is my life pointing? Two psalms over, Psalm uh, 123, still part of the Song of Ascent, says this, I lift up my eyes to you, to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of the slave look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Begs us to ask the question, what direction are we looking in? Where is our attention? Where is our focus? And this psalm teaches us, reminds us, encourages us to make sure that we are focused on God, that that is where our eyes are fixated. And in the act of looking up towards God, we will naturally end up being prayerful prayerful people. And I think this is actually one of the best descriptions of prayer. A.W. Tozer says this, and I think it's up there. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Isn't that good? Faith is the gaze of a soul. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Where are your eyes fixed? Where is your soul fixed? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray continually. Well, how many of us walk around verbally praying all the time? Nobody really does that. But I think this is a great description of what it means to be somebody that prays continually. It's somebody whose eyes are fixated on God, and that is the direction your life is headed. That is the person in whom you're taking your cues from, in whom you are focused on. Begs us to ask another question. Why can we trust in him? Other than the fact that God is the creator of the universe, what reason do we have to trust God? This takes us to the next verses, 3 to 7. We're given a reason here. Our trust goes far beyond just knowing that he's the creator. We trust in him because he is our keeper. The word is translated keeper. It's a very common Hebrew word. Uh, In Hebrew, it is shamar. Now, I actually taught this lesson to the youth last Sunday. I told them to go home to their parents and tell their parents that they learned Hebrew. Did they do it? Okay, good. That was their homework. So, the Hebrew word is shamar. It's translated a number of different ways. Here's some of the words in which translators have tried to capture it. It's, but very similar meanings. Keep, guard, watch, protect, retain, preserve, refrain, or care for. The word shamar is used six times in this psalm alone. You see it in verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep or protect you. The Lord will keep your soul. The Lord will keep or guard your going out and your coming in. So when a word is repeated over and over again, it means that we are to pay attention to this. And the word shamar is that the Lord keeps you, protects you, guards you. So because of this, we can confidently say that our help comes from the Lord. That he is actually directly involved in our lives. He's looking out for us. 
There are times that all of us might feel that God doesn't care about us or that he's ignored us or that he's given up on us. And we can confidently say, we can read this passage and say, it is not true because God is looking out for us. It's this promise that you and I can claim is true. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Christians are not deists. Do you know what a deist is? A deist is somebody that believes that God created the universe and then kind of walked away from it and let it just kind of do its own thing. Some people might call it the clockmaker idea. God just kind of wound up the clock and then let it go and it just kind of does its thing. That's what a deist believes. And many people today would claim to be deists. They would say, I believe in a God, but a God that's not actively involved at all in our world. And many Christians actually live as if they are deists, even though they might not um, say it in such terms because they believe in a God, but they don't believe that God actually is involved in their lives. And I would say to you that Christians, biblical Christianity is not deism at all. It is not the biblical picture of God. God is directly involved in our lives. He cares deeply about his creation, the big things and the small things. He shamar over us. He keeps us. This is the picture of our God. I've been reading a book to my kids called Brushko. Uh, it's a story of Bruce Olson. Bruce Olson is a young, uh, a young missionary who had a call to go reach this uh, very primitive, unreached, um, native, indigenous group of people in Colombia, Venezuela. It took him many years to get in there to find these people, and he finally did, and he was so excited, and he finally got in there. And these, these people, these natives, were considered to be incredibly ruthless. They hated white people. Um, they were just notorious. They were even feared among all the other Indian tribes, and yet Brusco felt such a call to go reach them. First contact, he gets shot in the leg with an arrow. And then they surround him, and they're yelling at him, and they pull out the arrow from his leg, and they drag him back to his camp, and he's stuck in their camp, and he's kind of rotting away in their camp. His leg is getting in infected, and it's festering. He gets really, really sick. He needs their help to even go out and go to the washroom, and he's just wondering, what is going on? And then he says this, and I quote straight from the book here. Then I began to pray, and as I prayed, as I hadn't for a long time, I spoke quietly to God, and God comforted me. He let me know that I was doing what he wanted. In the midst of just absolute pain and desolation, Bruce Olson felt the presence of God. And 10 years later, the Molotone Indians, almost every single one of them have become Christians. And these tribes have come to Christ and they've become leaders in Colombia. Because he stuck it out. But God was right there with them, giving him strength. You read biography after biography of Christians and they will say the similar types of things. It's hard to explain, but they say, I felt the real presence of God when life was hard. That God really was there. That God, Shamar, he was keeping us, protecting us. And that's the beautiful part of the psalm, is that God is directly involved, that God really does care, that he is right there. We are not deists by any means. So throughout the psalm, we're given a few legitimate dangers that the pilgrim is going to face on his journey. So we'll kind of walk our way through that. Verse 3 we see here, he will not let your foot slip. As you guys saw in the picture that the pilgrim's road is hard, it's dusty, it's steep, it's rocky, it's easy to lose your it's easy to lose direction. It's easy to have your foot slip. It's easy to stumble. How many of us feel like this? You know, we, we find ourselves living in uncertain seasons of life. We're not sure what the next step is. Maybe we feel a little bit lost. The psalm teaches us that when the way is uncertain, we're called to look up. 
and to pray and to keep our eyes fixed on God. We're called to look up to the one who is looking out for us, Shamar. I tell young adults this and youth this all the time. The biggest question I get all the time, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I make a good decision as I move forward, as I try to uh, become an adult? This is the piece of advice I give them. I say, those who discern well, pray well. You want to discern well in life? Pray. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, pray and keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep walking the straight path and he will show you the way. Some way or another, it will, it'll be different for all, all of us, but one way or another, God will direct your paths. Our call is to keep our eyes fixed on him. It reminds me of one of my other favorite passages. And I had this, uh, I had this taped to my door in my house when I was a youth as I was trying to make big decisions. Proverbs 3.5, you'll know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So what is our role as believers? Our role is to trust and to submit. And what is God's role, role to make our paths straight? So let's just worry about keeping our eyes focused on God and let him do the rest. So the pilgrim keeps walking, but they walk with eyes that are lifted up eyes that are focused on God, trusting that God is going to show them the way, trusting that their foot will not slip. There's a few other dangers mentioned in this, this psalm. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. Heat's fatiguing. We all know that. We've certainly experienced that the last few weeks here in the Okanagan. And if you went for a hike in 35-degree weather, you would, it's, uh, it's hot. It's exhausting. And at times, it can even be dangerous. The psalm here tells us that God is a protecting shade in the heat of the day. Think about it. If, uh, if you're to experience shade, an object needs to be close in order to actually give you shade. So God here is giving us a picture that he is close, that he's present. In order to experience his shade, he has to be very near, very close, intimate. He's not distant or remote. God knows the difficulties of the journey. He knows the situations that we're going through. He will not forget us in the heat of the day. Even at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it is at the hottest moment of the day, he will not forget. He will be there offering you shade. In an attitude of prayer, we look up to the one who is looking out for us. And again, it's hard to explain, but I've known this to be true in my own life. Times in life, especially in ministry, when really hard times come or big decisions come or I'm stressed out or anxious, I go for a walk and I pray and you just, I, I have felt, I've sensed the peace of God come over me. It's like a shade. The sun doesn't go away. It's still hot. It's not like I came home and the problem all of a sudden disappeared. But what happened is there was a shade. God gave me some relief. God was there. He was present. It's happened over and over again. And you're going to read that biography after biography. And I'm sure your neighbors sitting beside you can probably say similar things about their life. That God very much is present. Verse 6, fear of the night. Uh, that's the last part of verse 6, uh, is fear of the night there. Darkness frightens many of us. Often our worries and anxieties can get worse at night. Life's difficulties become more daunting when we, are slow, when we slow down and when we're tired and we all end up needing to sleep. The beauty of this psalm says that God never sleeps. He never slumbers. The context here is that uh, the more popular God at the time was Baal. And Baal was known to sleep for days at a time. And one of the main jobs of the local priest was to wake up Baal. And so this is actually a reference to that. God is saying, I'm not going to sleep on you. I'm not going to slumber. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not like those other gods who kind of take a break. I'm always here. I'm always there. I'm always present. 
God never sleeps. He's always keeping watch over us. Shamar. That's what God is. That's who God is. Are you tired, anxious, afraid, worried? Keep your eyes fixed on God. Keep your eyes fixed on him in the midst of the darkness. He is watching over you. The darkness will not overcome you. That's the promise of the psalm. And then the psalm ends, ends, verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. I want you to notice the psalm does not promise us that life is going to be easy and that nothing is ever going to be hard. We recognize in this psalm, even itself, says that life will be difficult, that the sun will keep exhausting us, the path may not always be clear, that darkness will always show up. But what is promised is that God will always be there, is that God will be our keeper. He will shamar. The psalm tells us that the Lord will keep us from losing out to evil. So the harm that's being talked about here is not, a, is not an absence of difficulties. It's a harm where the struggles of life actually overcome us and evil wins. And that's not going to happen when God is watching over us. Eugene Peterson says it way better than I just did. This is what he says. The promise of the psalm, and both Hebrews and Christians have read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. I love that. I love the way he wraps that up. So to wrap it up, we can say this. God is looking after us from our beginning to our end, from the early morning to the dead of night, in the midst of life's hardest difficulties. He is watching us. That is the promise of this psalm. So what is our job as pilgrims? Our job is to simply keep our eyes fixed on him, to keep our gaze fixed on him, the gaze of the soul fixed on a loving God. And so whatever you're facing today, whether it's fires or challenges, finances, family, whatever it is that you're facing today, know this. Claim this as a promise that God speaks over you. God is your keeper. God shamar over you. He's watching over you. So keep your eyes fixed on him. He's a creator of the heaven and you, uh, he's creator of heaven and earth. He's the almighty God, and yet he is intimately involved and connected in your life. That is the promise of Scripture. This is the God that we truly, absolutely believe in and experience to be true. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the beautiful psalm that we just read. We thank you that you are a God that is present, that is real, that watches over us. Lord, we thank you so much. You could have just left us to our own devices to figure it out, and yet you don't do that. You are a God that is intimately involved and we thank you, God, and we continue to pray that in the midst of all the struggles and difficulties that we may face, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. God, that evil would not overcome. That you would show yourself to be our shade, our shamar. So we thank you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.